Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 173. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Lingenfelder. Eric, are you feeling unstoppable today? Definitely, every morning. Well, at least in the mornings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Eric has been a part of the bar and restaurant industry for 16 years. Born and raised in San Diego, he started busing and waiting tables and quickly moved behind the bar. Eric bartended in a few different bars and nightclubs before settling in as a manager at the Tavern at the Beach. Soon after graduating from San Diego State University with a degree in communications, Eric knew he had found his niche. In 2003, after much hard work and determination, he formed a partnership with Mark Cirillo and Joe Vaught, uh, the existing owners of the Tavern at the Beach. Two years later, Variant Group was formed, and since then, the company's portfolio has expanded to include seven stores in California and Arizona. Eric, this is just a huge aerial view of you and what you're all about and what you're a part of. I can't wait to learn more, but before we do, man, I need to get that inspirational, motivational ball rolling with a success quote. So what do you have for us today? <laughs> I think the biggest one I always go back to and I, I say over and over is just find a way to say yes. Find a way to make things happen. Find a way to say yes. I love it. And I think if that if you just take that the simplicity of that quote and apply it to this industry, you will make so many people happy. At the end of the day, I mean, think about all the opportunities you have in a restaurant just to say yes and to make people's day. Definitely. That's awesome, man. So let me ask, this is a question I want to start leading off with. What is your why? What drives you? What is your purpose? Why do you love this industry so much? Well, I think it's I'm I enjoy I'm very competitive. I enjoy being competitive, and for me, it's the reason that I do it, and the reason things are going is it's it's fun for me to do things uh, the right way, to go above and beyond, and to take things to the next level. So that's what drives me, and I think the the main reason of why you get up every day and why is because you want to you want to do better, you want to take things to the next level. Yeah, and. Being competitive and trying to strive to do things better, that's fun. Once, If you give up on that end, then for me, I lose the fun. And I think a big part of the reason most people get in this business is because they enjoy the energy and the excitement and the people oh, yeah. and the fun of it. So. Absolutely. Totally, man. I mean, you, that's one thing I do love about this industry, too, is just how much fun can be had. If everybody's doing their jobs, if everyone's being respected, there's just so much camaraderie and opportunities for a good time. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of hard work. Let's, let's be serious. But it can also be a lot of fun. And I love that you recognize that fun. So is there a moment, Eric, can you like go to a, like a specific time when you knew that a job in the restaurant industry or the bar industry was going to be a career for you? And then you have a really interesting story, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to hearing this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, like most people that get started in the industry, it, it's in the beginning, it's a, 
bridge between what you're trying to do or what you're trying to accomplish. You know, when I started uh, at Subway and then busing and waiting tables through college, it was just a bridge to where I was going, even though that that path wasn't 100% clear. But when I um, got with my two partners down at the beach, our first location, and I made the decision to invest and become a partner and become an owner. That's in my head where I knew I had to be all in. Yeah, but, you, but there must have been a time before this, Eric, because you don't just make a decision to invest and then say, this is my career. I mean, was there a time like when you were working, maybe when you wanted to become a manager or, I mean, I mean, I guess it kind of helps to tell your backstory. Like, you started working at this restaurant, right? And you, then you took it upon yourself to take on a little bit more responsibility by going in on your days off just to observe the management side of things. Like, was that around the time where you started to think maybe this is my career? Um, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't think so. I think at the time for me, I was bartending, you know, I was, I wanted to get into the management side, but the structure that the store was in at that time, you had to come in and learn on your own. So mm-hmm. I would just come in and I'd shadow and I'd follow. But for me, it was the desire just to learn about business. And I'm, I'm a person that believes if, if you have idle time, you need to be working on something. So I had a lot of idle time between classes and things. So I would go in and start to learn. And I think, it was once I got past that point where I said, you know, I think this is not, it's a business venture. And when I decided that I was going to actually financially, my income was going to be dependent on the success of the business. That's when in my head it clicked. This is going to be, this is your career now. There's no, there's no right or left. You'd be successful if you want to pay your bills. And so that's when it really hit me that this is a career and it's going to be your career. Like, take me through that, like, that aha moment. Um, Like, what were you feeling? Like, what was, like, did you, like, establish a plan of action afterwards? What was that like? Yeah, well, I think as you start on the front of the house and you're, you know, working as a waiter or a manager, you're very focused on your nightly sales or your Mm -hmm. tips or this. But I think when you get on the ownership level side of it, you start to look at different numbers and seeing profits and understanding costs. And I think it was for me then that I kind of had that moment and I started to learn and realize that there's things that I can affect on a daily basis that would uh, affect the outcome of the profit essentially. And that was kind of my moment where I said all the work and all the years that I've put in this industry are now coming together to actually produce something I could see at the end of the month, which would be a profit. Not that it was profit driven, but for me it meant success. It meant I won. You know, I, I made it successful through there. I love how you just, you know, I feel like this is going to come into, like, the next question. And that question is, what are your it factors, man? Like, if you could narrow it down to one, two, or three qualities, characteristics, habits that you think most contribute to your success, what would they be? And I have an idea. I know what one of them is, but I'm going to wait to get <laughs> see what you say. Go for it. Well, I, I think the things that you know we've been very successful at are the ability to build great teams, putting the right personalities and the right bodies together in each of our units and being a part of that team. I think another thing is as far as on the customer side, what we can give our clientele, that's to always give them more than they expect. So if you can just give them, they walk in, if the place is beautiful, it's nice, but you go above and beyond. And then I think the, the last thing is the willingness to take risks. You've you've got to be able to throw it out there and take a risk. I love it, man. And um, you didn't say the one I was hoping you would say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> add it onto the list. 
of if factors is you just are proactive dude like you don't wait for things to happen like you make them happen you take action and it was clear in your story about how like you want to be a manager and how you knew if you became a manager you could change things to increase the money that you're making like to, to make sure everybody's making more money and some people don't take that action to control their destiny like that no, I agree 100%. I think when you can put yourself, if if you believe in if you believe in what you're doing, if you believe in the goal of your location or the goal of your store, you have to put yourself in a position to be able to influence and make those changes. And I think that's where you kind of see yourself moving up the ladder and see whether it be a lead bartender or whether it be a manager or manager, oper, uh, operational manager. You have to put yourself in that position so you can influence, make an influence mm-hmm. on and an impact people. I love it, man. And you said one of your it factors was to build great teams, man. Like, what are you looking for? How, like, what is, like, the key to building a great team? Like, if you could share one piece of information with that. Well, I think the biggest thing is looking at your personalities and finding out who's going to complement each other. And each one of our teams, it's almost, it's over all the years we've been doing this, I've got individuals who run the store and are very detail-oriented on the back of the house, and they have things very organized. And then I have another individual on our management team usually that's off the wall. He's over the top or she's over the top. They're 100 miles an hour. They're trying new things. And it's also the yin and the yang. You're just trying to get those two things to complement each other. Mm-hmm. You need both of those to have a successful successful store. I love it, man. And um, I guess if you could tell us uh, a story now, Eric, if you could bring us through a time where one of these if factors came out, whether it was your proactive approach to life or your ability to build great teams or over-delivering, maybe it's just uh, that ability to take risk and action. Like, Bring us through a story where one of those if factors really shine through. Yeah, I mean, I think the one that most recently comes to mind is we had a store in North Park here in, in San Diego, and we had a neighbor who had a little restaurant down the street, and he asked, came to us, asked about partnering up. The total restaurant was about 2,200 square feet, but he wanted to take it to the next level. He had a lot of respect for what we've done with our restaurant and in the area. So we took the risk, said this guy looks like a good guy to partner with. We dove into the 2,200-square-foot restaurant. We changed it, built it into a successful little location. And over the course of the next four years, we ended up um, working with him to take over the – it was in a theater – take over the theater operations, start doing live music. Hmm. And from there, we ended up buying the business out of bankruptcy and – Ended up, uh, was a two-year process, but bought the building, bought the business out of bankruptcy. So we own the land and the business. And we just sold that last year for you know, a huge profit, mm-hmm. which all started with taking a little risk on a location and believing in a person. And by looking at something small but seeing the potential for something big, I think that's where your, your opportunities come about. And I think both of your uh, two if factors really come out here for me listening to you talk. Obviously, that first one, taking a risk, taking a chance, but also um, your ability to build a team. Because in a sense, like you're taking a risk on these people, but you're investing in those people. You're, you have the ability to look at somebody and know if they're somebody you can invest in. Is that would you say that's one of you know that tied into it as well? Definitely, I think you you have to have that intuition within yourself that's going to, and usually you know it right off the bat. But 
have that ability to look at individuals and talk to them and find out, do they, do they have that factor? Do they have that drive and that motivation? Are they passionate? Mm -hmm. And those, and you know, you're taking a risk on individuals, but you're helping build that team for your future. And as you know, we all know you're only as successful as the people that you surround yourself with. Absolutely, man. I love it. Great job, man. Great story. Way to take us through the whole process and the experience. Um, now I want you to do the same exact thing, but I want you to tell me about a time you failed, Eric, and just fell hard on your butt, man. Tell us how you got back up and what you learned from that failure. Well, I think, you know, the, the restaurant and the food industry over the years, especially I'd say the last 10 years and even in San Diego has changed a lot. And I think that it's very important that you stay up with the times and with things that are going. And one of the most challenging things and things that we had to adapt to is keeping true to our concept of who we were, but also keeping up with all the trends and the new things that are coming in and the way that people are eating and the way that people view food, the craft cocktails. So that was a struggle for us in the beginning because we're basically a chef-driven sports bar, a chef-driven tavern is our overall concept. So in the beginning, when these things started coming down, it was a very big challenge to uh, how are we going to adjust? How are we going to do this, but yet still stay true to our concept? And that was something that took a little bit of a learning curve for us. We brought in some new individuals, and we were able to accomplish that, but it took some time. And it, it's, a, it's a big opening process. The restaurant business is never stagnant. You, you need to be changing every single year, every single month, every single day, and keeping up with things. You know, how do you stay on top of all that? I mean, where do you go to keep on top of this? Well, I think over the years, you know, I, there's publications, there's those things. But what I found the, the best way for me to keep up on what's going on and the trends and things around is travel. Mm-hmm. You've got to get out of your box. And I try to encourage the managers and my business partners, we do the same things. You have to get out of your box and you got to go travel. You have to go to Portland, San Francisco, New York. You have to go to the different cities, see the different markets, look at the trends. But there's nothing – you can flip through a magazine. You can read about a, an article and those things will help. But there's not, nothing like sitting in a new restaurant in Portland that came about that you pick off two or three things that you like and you start to adapt that to your own concept. Um, So I think travel and getting outside of your box is the most important thing. Awesome advice. So to bring it back to the question, which was uh, sharing a failure, what would you say your biggest failure was in this? I mean, was there a time where you weren't on top of the trends and you missed an opportunity like, or you just lost your identity? What happened? Yeah, I think there's, I think there was a little bit where it took us a little bit too much time to adapt because you see so many things that are, um, you know, the flashes that come up and down. But I think the biggest thing was that there was a couple of years, I think we fell behind on adapting uh, to what the, to what the trends are and to the way the market was moving. But we really had a, you know, a big regroup as far as a company. We went out at a hundred miles an hour and tried to make the changes that were going to bring us up to speed. And now I feel like we're one of the market leaders in it. So it's, it was good. It was a great learning experience and definitely keep, you know, teaches you to keep your eyes and your ears open to what's going on around you. Interesting, yeah, and that's that's really interesting because I've heard people talk about uh, how careful you have to be about chasing trends too, because a lot of it is your identity. It's who you are, what your brand stands for, how your brand resonates with your core values. So, how do you walk that fine line of staying true to your your culture, your values, your identity, and chasing these uh, trends? 
Well, and th- that's exactly why we fell into a little bit of a difficult spot. And I think for us, where we've grown and become is imagine trying to be a very casual tavern, sports type bar where you're trying to keep a very middle of the road price point, but yet everything around you is going up and, you know, uh, more expensive, better products, everything else, but you're still trying to have a very casual atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So I think over the years, what we've, what we've done is we've still kept, we've still kept our same casual customer service, uh, atmosphere, but we picked up the game when it comes to the quality of our products, the Mm. food that we put out, also the way we do our customer service uh, and the knowledge of our staff. So by bringing those things up, we were able still to put our customers in a very casual environment, but they feel the experience of an elevated, of an elevated location, let's say. Awesome, man. Great stuff. All right, man. You've crushed the first half of this interview. Uh, it is time for you just to drop some restaurant bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready? Go for it. All right. The first question I have for you is what is your advice for raising the capital to get started maybe with your initial restaurant or just an, any restaurant? <laughs> Raise more than you think you need. <laughs> How much more? Uh, I'd say it's always a good rule of thumb of on your build outs and your constructions and your property purchase, I'd be in that 15% range, 20% range. And then I think what a lot of new operators forget is the operating capital to start. Yeah. So, you know, the operating capital, you need that to build your inventory, to put your money in the bank. You need your operating capital. It's going to get you through your first six months. I've heard double. Is that, would you say it's a, a good number to go off of? Um, I think if you're using if you're using good contractors and architects, and if you have some resources where you can pool some profit and loss statements from similar locations, or you have that history within your company, I think you know one and a half is probably where we end up looking. Yeah, and there's always the risk too um, that you're. You, you know, you have this concept, you're going to try something, it resonates with you, but then you put it into market and it doesn't go crazy. Like people aren't ex- like, you know, ranting and raving about it. And you have to have that, like you said, that startup capital to pivot and change and adapt to what your guests want too. Is that a big part of it? I, I agree a hundred percent. I think eight, usually 80% of your concept and 80% you've thought through in the way we've we've looked at our locations after the history is 80% of what we think is going to happen happens 80% of our idea, but you better be ready to adapt to that other 20%. If you want to stay in business, you Mm. can't be so hard nosed that you die on that 20% because you're not willing to change a little bit right or left here or there. Awesome. I love it. Great stuff. So the next question I have for you is what advice do you have for finding good people and hiring Uh, Like you said to me, it's all about those people you surround yourself with. So what are you looking for? I kind of already asked this earlier, but let's dive a little deeper. I know it's been said a lot, but I think you need to trust your gut and your instinct. There's the paper that you get the resume in front of you. For me, it tells a very, very brief story. But within the first five to ten minutes of meeting somebody, you're truly, truly going to know. And then I think a big part of any hiring or interview process is – you're being interviewed as well yeah. and you need to really extract from those people what they want from you. What are their goals? What is their vision as far as what they expect from you as a company, from you as an individual owner? Where do they see themselves? Because I think if you can identify those things early and find a match for the growth of your company, the positions that you have, you're starting off on the right foot because both you and your team member are going to be growing towards the same goals. Awesome. So important for people to be pulling all in the same direction. I couldn't agree more. So when you find these great people that are a right fit, 
for your restaurant, what is your advice for keeping them on your team and making sure they stay around for a while? Yeah, I think, and I, I do, I talk to my managers about this all the time. I think the biggest thing is to listen. Mm. You know, they're the ones in the trenches. You need to stop, take them out to lunch. You need to have your meetings with your bar staff, your wait staff. And when I say meetings, I'm not saying, you know, formal in-house meetings. I say take your top three servers out to lunch and talk to them. What are their needs? What do they see? What are the trends? What's going on? They're the lifeblood. They're the first line of people that pe- that your customers see coming in, and they're also the ones that know what's working, what's not working. So you need to be able to listen and adapt to what they're saying. Uh, so I, it's, it's, it's absolutely vital. Yeah, and it reminds me of the famous author Stephen R. Covey and his seven habits of highly effective people. One of those habits is first seek to understand and then seek to be understood. And I think just knowing what every, like what the issues are, sometimes, you know, I mean, maybe you've experienced this where you've worked for somebody who's kind of like a dictator and um, they kind of control the situation without really knowing what the issue is because they don't take the time to listen. Have, I mean, has that been an issue with you? Like, have you seen that before? Yeah, I think that, you know, all of us being in this industry for long enough, you've seen different management and ownership styles, and you've seen that. And there are times where the owner or, you know, the managers need to put their foot down because they feel the direction's a certain way. But even during those times, it's very important to recap and go back to your staff, explain why things maybe had to be a certain way, Mm -hmm. and then also to get their input on the way we can improve or make things better in the future. And, you know, the different management styles and the different things, there's all types of management styles that can be successful, but I think the number one key that each successful style has is being able to listen and gather information from your, your team members. Yeah, and what does that do for your team? How does that make them feel when you do listen? Well, and I know this is you know going back to basic business 101, but I think if you can get your staff members to have – the idea or be a part of the idea or solution and get their buy-in early Mm -hmm. throughout the process, it's, it takes you 10% of effort to actually put whatever program or make the changes that you're going to need because you have buy-in because it's their idea. Absolutely. You know, and, and then essentially you're trying to reach the same goal. So having them as part of the team is, you know, it's, it's the most important thing. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. So do you have any resources you can share with us today, Eric? Maybe a book you've read, whether it's a restaurant, business book, or just a personal growth book or a business book in general that is just a must-read for anybody getting into this industry. What would it be? Yeah, I think one of my favorite is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, that book, it's, a, it's, an ironic, um, it's an ironic title by Patrick Lachone, I think is how you pronounce his uh, last name, but it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And it's a book that just resonated with me because it talks about just the dynamics, the way to work together, getting the most out of your group. So that that's one book I think that has always stuck with me. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, that's the first time that's been mentioned on the show. I mean, tell me, like, if you could just take one lesson out of this book, one massive takeaway, what would it be? Uh, I, I think it was that, it, it, well, I'd say listening and then just to mention another one that I liked about that book, it's it's building a personal, building a relationship that goes one level deeper than the work relationship. And that's finding out, and this is something with our managers we work on a lot, finding out a few key things about the employees that you can 
work with and relate to, whether it be they have a sister that's uh, trying out for a team, they have a mother who might be sick on the other side of the country, you know, working and finding out some of the personal things that are important to your team members, because it starts to really build that relationship and bond that you have with them and forming that team that's going to be there with you through thick and thin. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me a lot of a book I talk about or recommend always on the show, which is Chip Connolly's Peak. I think you'd love that book, Erica. But it really just talks about tapping into those higher needs of people to feel like you're talking about right now, like feeling they belong, right? Correct. And that they're, it's more than just a job, but, you know, you're part of something higher. So that's really interesting stuff. Great. Definitely. Um, I'll have that in the show notes. Pumped to get a first mention on the show. All right, man. The next question I have for you is if you could just give us like one piece of marketing advice, man, like blow us away with one advice on how to market your restaurant appropriately. Uh, if a little different one, maybe. I mean, we're big believers in organic marketing and organic growth. The, mm-hmm. What we spend in actual print, Facebook, uh, any type of marketing is – it doesn't register on what's typical by any means. We're very, very um, into organic growth and organic uh, marketing. And I think the way it starts for us and I think can a lot of restaurants is we really go after the industry clientele. So I spend a lot of money, whether it be on comps within or making sure that we go out and take care of the industry people. Because I think if you can get every bartender, waitress, and manager to come into your location, call that home, give good reviews about it. Now, I've got the best marketing staff throughout the city because they call that home. And that doesn't just go with the individual entity, but also for the company as a whole. You take care of your employees. You take care of them. They believe that your company is the best it can be then they're out marketing for you. Now, is that what you just explained to us? Is that the definition of organic marketing? Because I'm not too um, I think term. maybe for myself, when I look at it, I don't. we don't take out flyers or big ads or this. I think it starts with the industry people and your, customer, and your employees. And then I think you let the – for us, we let a lot of the momentum and the um, growth of the business happen through those avenues and through the locals that start to build it up. Yeah. Uh, When I say organic, I just mean it starts kind of from within our own house and moves outward. It's not where I say, okay, I'm going to budget for us as a company. We don't budget, you know, 10% of our build out cost or this to put towards advertising or marketing to get us off the ground. It's just a little different model that we use. So do you budget for comps? Is that working to your budget? Correct. That's one thing that is definitely in our budget, and we do it at all of our locations. I think one of the hardest things in the restaurant industry is getting an individual in your door. I mean, people spend thousands and thousands of dollars just to get the guy through the door. Mm. So we believe once that customer's in the door, the most valuable thing you can do is take care of them. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, hey, I'm going to buy your appetizer for you or, you know, hope you guys had a good experience. I'd like you to try this new cocktail. There's a lot of ways that once that person is in the door, that's where you have to make the biggest impact. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, it's all about being hospitable. And it sounds like that's what you're doing uh, with these comps, making sure people are happy. But, I mean, if you could put a percentage to it, Eric, what would it be? Um, I, I, when you open the store, it's a little bit higher. But, I mean, we'll, we run around – after the store is up and running for the first year, we try to level out around 5% to 6% of our entire sales wow. is 
and, and the other thing that that's useful for as well is I think it deters a lot of, you know, um, employees from whether you want to say employee theft or employees trying to, you know, take care of things where they don't feel like they can. We pass that along to our employees where our bartenders, our servers have the ability to comp up to a certain level. And that gives them the ability to give back to their new regulars, their friends and build business. Awesome, man. I love it. This has turned out to be some great advice. So let's kind of move on to uh, the topic of technology. Um, I mean, it's been said that technology can be something to be an accelerator for your business, to increase systems and processes uh, and efficiency. So are there any technologies you're leveraging at your restaurant, whether front of house or back of house, that can help the folks listening today? Yeah, I mean, I think the one that people know the most in the front of the house, if you're looking at strictly technology, that's been a big asset for us is probably hot schedules as far as the ability for you to be fluid and move with, you know, we have about 460 employees. So the managers are constantly, I mean, it's a nightmare to get through the scheduling. So that's one thing I think that a lot of companies use. But I think one that isn't as familiar that we use is called Hippo FM, and it's a maintenance facility maintenance program. And it's a very good tracking program in order to keep up with your what i call the preventative maintenance so changing out your filters on a monthly basis making sure that uh your hvacs are you're cleaned out your ice machines are cleaned all these things we put on a giant calendar for each store and it's a our maintenance crew goes in and they've got the calendar now that the managers can access and it's all through this program called hippo fm and that's also where they submit anything that's broken or anything that needs to be fixed. So it's, it's really helped us out. So let me see if I understand how it works. It's a, a calendar that where you basically just schedule all of your, I don't know if it's weekly, monthly, or annually maintenance. So it get you just making sure things get done, like something where your, sure. uh, not purveyors, but your outsourced services can access as well. Correct. It's a facility maintenance program, so it does all of your preventative maintenance like you spoke about, and then it also gives the managers the ability to go in if something breaks, if a urinal uh, handle busted, they can go in, fill out the form, and it sends that out to our maintenance because we have a maintenance crew that goes around and fixes these things, but it can also be done where it goes out to certain vendors that you resource on each side so it's been a like i said a big help great man thanks that's the first mention on the show as well man you're just killing it today and i'm curious with hot schedules um it's so much more than just scheduling i mean are you using it just for this like the, the scheduling side of what it can do or are you also using it for like uh recruiting employees because i know they just came out with the just job sabi what else are you using it for aside from scheduling um, I think it's the scheduling and then a lot of us that we we use it for on our end as well. We haven't got into the recruiting side of it yet, but we use it for a lot of if we have announcements or there's notifications or things that need to go out to the employees, um, trying to get to that many employees and make sure they have the information that's needed has been difficult. So Hot Schedules has allowed us to send out notifications to our employees, which has been a big help for the managers as well. Awesome, man. Great. So. Let's see. I think it's good to move to the next question. We just talked about technology. So, I mean, I guess we're getting close to wrapping it up. And uh, if there's just one piece of business advice, if you could go back to 2000, I don't know, let's say 2007, just before you went into your partnership, because it was 2008, right, when you went into your partnership? So if you could give yourself one piece of business advice, so that past version of yourself, what would it be? If I had to go back, I'd spend a little bit more time on the brand development. Uh, I think that, you know, we go through with an idea, you put together what you're going to 
what you believe your unit's going to be and um and you start building you start growing but what i i think if i could go back more which we i feel we do pretty good now is we really really dive into every single question avenue aspect of the brand and of the concept and we ask every single question that we think could possibly come up and at least have a direction even if it is going to change the 20 percent that i did talk about we really dive into every aspect of the brand what we're trying to develop so like in one sentence if you're giving yourself advice like what would that piece of advice be exactly Uh, take the take the time to do your preparation take the time to dive into the unknown because uh, any little weakness or hole that's in your in your plan, it'll be exposed within that first three months of doing business. I love it. I think it was uh, some gentleman that was on the show. I believe his name was Lucas Reeve, Revis, or I can't remember. It was a long time ago, but he said, "Work your plan and plan your work." I love <laughs> yeah, it. Very smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, man. If there was one question I could have asked you that you think would have brought more value to this interview, what would it have been? I think maybe if. Uh... Ask one thing. I think one thing I would like to hear from other operators and other owners would be: if there's one thing they could change about the industry, what would it be? Okay, if there's one thing you could change about the industry, <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, I think at this point, it's you know the, the industry's gotten very exciting. It's gotten very competitive, uh, but I think that the part that's a little hard for us now in the industry and, and is all the costs of doing business in this industry have gone up, whether it be minimum wage, fuel surcharges, the cost of food, the cost of those things. So I think if I could, if I could look back and see something I could change, I think it would just be to have the ability to learn a little bit more and work with all these changing industries that are affecting the uh, affecting our livelihood, whether it be getting involved more on the government side or getting involved in fer- finding out more about the food sourcing and all of those, all of those aspects. Because right now we used to be in our business, we could increase our sales three to five percent a year to stay even, because that's the cost of goods going up. Mm-hmm. Now in our industry, you need to increase yourself seven to eight percent a year in your sales and in your revenue just to break even, and that's because the cost of goods are going up so fast. Well, man, for so. a guy who stayed or majored in communication because there was only one math class, you really know your numbers. Like I said. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a necessity of the business. <laughs> Great, man. You've been awesome. I've asked you all my questions. We wrap up every episode by having you call somebody out. Who's one restaurant professional uh indie restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great guest mentor on the show like you did today um i've had a lot of respect for the cohen restaurant group here in san diego and uh david cohen he's done a phenomenal job at taking individual concepts and taking them throughout the city of san diego and they've all been very successful so he's a a restaurateur that i've looked up to and has been very successful all right, David Cohen, man, look out. I'm coming after you. I'll try to do what I can to get you on the show. And uh, let the folks at home know, Eric, how we can connect with you. If they want to take up the conversation, maybe they want to come work for you out in the West Coast. How can we connect? Yeah, I think the easiest way is just to visit our website at verantgroup.com. It's V-E-R-A-N-T-G-R-O-U-P.com, which is kind of ironic. The word Verant is just the tavern letter scrambled up. That's how brilliant we were in our company name. But uh, <laughs> awesome! I was yeah, curious. Yeah, go on to the website. If they go on the website, look there. You can always email me at eric at 
restaurantgroup.com. God, I'll have that in the show notes. Just go to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash Eric Lingenfelder, and you'll find the links to everything we discussed today, uh, how to connect to the products and services, the books that are recommended will all be right there. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show to be a guest mentor, man. There's no questioning, dude. You are unstoppable. Uh, Thanks for having me, Eric. Good luck on the show. Thanks a lot, dude. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you guys for listening in. Eric, man, you were awesome. Such a great guest. I apologize. This episode came out a day late. Just trying to stay true to my two episodes a week like I promised you guys. So uh, here we are on Saturday. Supposed to come out yesterday, but I just want to make sure this got to you. Sorry if you were looking for this episode yesterday. Uh, But now here it is for you today. And uh, some of the things I just wanted to recap today is uh, how... Our guest, Eric, was talking about taking risks um, and how you need to take a risk on people and uh, how he had this huge opportunity because he took a risk on somebody. But one thing I want you to consider if you're coming up in the industry and you want to make something of yourself in this industry is be the person somebody takes a risk on. But approach somebody. Maybe your passion, your uh, your just will to be successful will Come through if you approach somebody with an idea and if you have something going for you, uh, be that person somebody takes a risk on. Also, Eric was talking about how you need to travel and get into different markets and experience what people are doing in in different cities to uh, stay fresh and to keep your concept relevant. But how can you do that? If you're a restaurant owner, how do you get away to... Uh, get these experiences so you can stay fresh. I mean, it's it's hard to do, and I think that's why it's really important that we listen to our uh, our guests when they they tell us about uh, the importance of having those systems and processes and procedures in your restaurant. And that's what you're doing when you have these systems and processes. Is you're making a system dependent restaurant and not a people dependent restaurant and uh if you want to learn how to do that uh check out my interview with sweet process i'll have that link in the show notes too and uh you can try sweet process for i think a 30-day trial uh or 28 days uh just check it out and get working on systematizing your business today so you can get away and experience these different things uh one thing that really came to my mind i want to share with you and before i let you guys go i have to remind you to please support the show Everything we're doing here is free to you, and I I would love to keep it going, but we need some help. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com, go to the support page, and uh, just make a small donation. Every little bit helps. If you don't have the money to make a donation, uh, get a free audio book. We had a first time mention The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. You can get that book for free, and if you use my link uh, in the show notes then I will get $15, and that will help out a lot too. So the last thing you can do to support the show is just give us a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. That's free too. Uh, It goes a long way with the rankings, helping get out there, helping get recognized. These are all the little things you guys can do to keep this content going, uh, to keep mentors coming, and it's been a blast. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I know I'm loving every second of it, so let's keep it going. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Don't forget to shoot me your thoughts and comments at eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. And until next time, peace out.